This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a, a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome Dean Snell of the Snell Golf Ball Company to the Sub 70 podcast. Uh, in full disclosure, we work with Snell, and we're proud to do so. We uh, kind of like our official golf ball supplier. Dean, is that how you'd call it? We put our logo and your logo on there, and we're both direct-to-consumer businesses. So it's it's great to have you on the podcast, and it's also I'm honored that we get to do business together. So thanks for coming on today. All righty. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, let's let's talk about your background. You have done a lot in the industry, especially on the golf ball side. So you know, maybe a quick history if if uh, people may have heard of Snell Golf Balls, but don't understand how involved you've been in in golf ball technology over the last you know twenty twenty five years. Yeah, well, it's it's getting up there in years, so it's definitely starting to show age. But I started in uh, at Titleist back in the early. Back actually, back in 1990, um, I answered an ad for a quality engineering position, and I was working doing some research and development work in the aerospace field. And Titleist was basically right in my hometown, so I answered an ad with them, and uh, they sent my resume over to R&D. And and I think the following Tuesday, I got hired uh, to work on in, in R&D. So basically, when I started at, at Titleist, I didn't play golf. I didn't even have clubs, and you know, I didn't really even like golf to be honest with you but it was uh i was i played hockey my whole life and golf is a different kind of sport where you know hockey someone pisses you off and you can take care of it and sit out for five minutes and golf you can't even talk you know and say anything so it was a different different kind of game my father was a good player he played all the time and i didn't so i started there and the basically the first project i worked on was trying to bring cast urethane into into production um, and, and it developed for a few years and launched the first golf ball, which was a tour prestige or ended up being the Titleist Professional, um, which was the first cast urethane wound golf ball that uh, that was ever introduced. And that transformed into um, the, the original Pro V1. So I did a, a lot of work in the design and development of Pro V1 and have, the patents, have patents on that with the team that I worked on. Uh, and then TaylorMade called me to start their golf ball division. So I relocated to California as employee number one. And when I went there, they didn't even have a scale to weigh golf balls and didn't, didn't have any way to measure the size or anything. So it was an interesting project to build you know, a, a business from ground up. I'm hiring people and working with factories and refurbishing factories and creating you know products that the best players in the world would want to play and did play and did win, you know, with uh, with a tailor-made staff that was developed. Um, and then I was there for 18 years with tailor-made, and then I kind of said my kids are out of college, if everything's paid for, so I'm going to take a shot and try to do something that can give to the consumer side to it, which, which I started Snell Golf in 2015 um, to go direct to consumer. So using the experience that I had in development, which was really for a lot of the tour players, um, you know, and tour player designs and developments a little different than what it is for average golfers. So I said, if I can try to do some of the same ideas and concepts that I've done for tour for, you know, 25 years 
and give it back to the consumers, but cut out all of the middlemen and cut out the sales force and the golf courses and just go direct to consumer and give it a try, you know, with some of the history that I've been able to do over the past. And uh, we started Snow Golf, and it's it's been it's been outstanding, you know, no complaints whatsoever. And it was a risk to start, but it was a low risk because everybody was taken care of, and then uh, and that's taken off. Um, sounds like a little bit of uh, kindred spirits we have here with what we do at Sub Seventy. I think that's why our companies align so well together. Like I said, which is cool to get to work with you. Um, you know, I was playing college golf when the uh, right in the front end when the professional came out. I always think it's interesting of the, the the progress of the golf ball. So when you guys did the professional, how much better was that than your tour ball at the time? So if you went from say Bellata, the tour Bellata to that professional, what were the gains and, and truly how much better was that ball? Well, the, if if you if I could ever sit down with you sometime, I would show you how we started. It was making one ball at a time. You have to cast it in and use a little Q-tip and kind of do the urethane until it cured a certain amount, then lowered the center, the wound center, into one half of it by hand, try to get it centered, and then do the other half of the um, urethane, flip it over, I put it in a clamp, I ran it to a, a freezer, I let it freeze, I opened it up, and then buffed it and painted it. So in one ball was was what we got. Um, and then take take that into a production, you know, to start up. Um, I, I spent a lot of time with, at this, at this point, it was with um, Phil Mickelson and Peter Costas out in Arizona. And the goal was really to try to see the tour ball golf balls just spun so much. And tour players were taking drivers, you know, 9 and 10 degree drivers down to 6 and 7 degrees just to try to keep the spin rate of the driver down. So the urethane idea that we had at the time was was to try to, reduce that driver spin and increase distance. The other problem that tour players had was getting to back pins with a lot of golf balls where they spun so much that the balls would actually come back off the green or they couldn't, they'd have to change the shots. So reducing iron spin and reducing driver spin, which effectively create more distance, that was the goal of the project. And uh, I remember with Mickelson, the first prototypes I took out to see him, it was it was instantly a big gain because the driver spin went from 4,000 RPMs at the time that he was doing down to the 323300, which is a big jump in spin. Yeah. Now he brought the loft. Now he brought the loft up, and he was gaining you know the 15 or 20 yards instantly, and and it became interesting to him. So back then, Jason Field was. Uh, was the biggest thing when I worked with these tour players. Everything had to feel soft, and and this golf ball was much firmer than the old tour Bellata golf balls were. But the distance that they gained on it and the spin that they were to able to reduce from it, the feel comments went away. And when you when you look over the history where you have tour Bellata of a really soft feel to the professional, then to Pro V1, and then to some of the Callaway, you know, the HX tours that they had um, the bridge some of the bridgestone golf balls they get up into the 100 105 compression range and nobody was talking about feel anymore because distance and spin control had taken over the performance of golf balls so that was the big the big change of the uh, the first part of the distance increase was the ballada to professional did they from the short game standpoint did that take i may answer my question i assume yes but just to have go from Bellata from chipping wedge game to that professional was that also something that yes the distance increased but they had to kind of change the way they would go short game or was it pretty good spin wise 
with wedges, stuff like that from the professionals. I know most of the guys went to it pretty quickly, so I'm guessing they figured it out. Yeah, it was an easy transition. The shorter, the the urethane on the golf ball is is not firm. You know, it's it's firmer than bolada, but it was also a little bit thicker than the bolada that was put on. So it's it's um the durability became so much better. And them to adjust the short game, it was they weren't losing a ton of spin and control around the green. It was just a little bit of adjustment. And I and I kind of relate it to what they did with the wedges. Remember when, remember when the USGA changed the grooves and, and said, hey, you know, the tour players are just bombing it, putting it in the rough and still spinning it out, and tour players yeah. now have to use and, and, and it didn't change anything. So they, they, these guys are so good to adjust, um, to adjust the shots, and, and it takes a little bit of time. I, mean, I can remember working with Sergio in Spain one time, and he we spent four hours at, on a 30-yard shot just around the green for him to test three prototypes to tell differences in them, which I couldn't even see, but he could tell how it, one would pitch a little higher and that first roll would land, that first bounce would land a little bit shorter than the other bounce and check a little more. So he, he, he was able to tell spin differences of a few hundred RPMs on a 30-yard pitch where the average golfer, you know, if they pitch it and it goes in the air, sometimes it's a win. So, um, you know, he's he's... They're, they're that good. It's some of them are chip and feel kind of players. Some of them are trajectory players. Some of them are um, you know distance players. They're all they're all different, but they're they're good enough in their field. Whichever way they were, they were good enough to be able to tell different subtle differences in prototypes. You know, when I would go see them. Got a two part question here for you on the Pro V, which was like, I remember when that came out, it was like even for a good amateur player, it was so much better. Right, I mean the distance gains you had. So to get to that Pro V, which would, would, is this a fair statement? I'm going to say is that kind of the foundation for let's just call it the modern golf ball, right? That one kind of changed everything. Yeah, that, that was that a, was a big that was a big. Remember, Strata came out with Top Flight. I think it was in 1990, 91, somewhere around there, early early 90s. It was, um, and that was really one of the first solid three-piece golf balls, but they did it with a Serlin cover, which was thicker, so the ball spun a little bit and it was a little bit shorter. Um, so the concept that <coughs> excuse me, the concept that I had at Titleist when I was there was to say, what if we could take this cast urethane that's got great durability and create a thin veneer layer, like a really thin cover layer with, you know, with a three-piece construction that'll help take some of that spin out of the driver and irons that, make, that are making the strata short, but it will still pinch and work with the wedges to keep the control mm-hmm. around the green. And so that's that was a tough part, right? That's the yeah, tough that part was to hard get part. both. Correct. Yeah. It, yeah, the spin curves were changing where it used to be a lot of balls spun high with drivers, and they spun high with wedges, and pinnacles, a two-piece ball, spun low with drivers and low with wedges. So the multi-layer design allowed us to control the spin with the driver low, and then control the spin with the wedges, medium or high. So by creating the layers, you create a different spin curve, and that's what we were able to make prototypes to go out to see the tour players and find out which combination you know uh, works the best to try to fit the most golfers. You know, you could technically make a golf ball for every player if you really wanted to. There'd be no money in it, but uh, but that's that's kind of where it stood. Where you know we we made three or four prototypes, went out to see Mickelson and. and and Davis Love on the professional. We did the same thing with the with the Pro V1. You know, we went out to see him and and did the testing on it. And so when I mentioned before the Balada driver spin was four thousand, came down to thirty five hundred. This brought it down to three thousand. 
So another 500 RPMs off the driver. And today, you guys know when you're working drivers, you try to take 100 off, and it's a, di- it's a difference in distance. And we're yes. talking 500 off, which is significant. Now, the biggest thing was on the driver's side is now 9 and 10-degree drivers started to, to sell. So I'm even 10.5 or 11 because that spin rate of the ball was low like the, like the pinnacles, and now you have to hit it higher, and that's where the added distance came from. So that, that kind of that was the second increase. Professional was the minor jump, and then the Pro V1 design was the was the next next jump. And then since then, it's been right in that range. You can tweak it a little bit here and there, but that really brought the driver's spin rate down to what a two-piece ball is, which allows the drivers to have more loft and actually hit the ball further. Was there an aha moment, or I've got it, when like that development of the Pro V happened, where you knew like, okay, this is now doable because and then my second part to that was there other companies was there like an arms race on this to get there like you saw this you know better way of doing it it was it was it probably wasn't a race to do it um at that time you know in the in the mid 90s this was the pro v1 um, design and development phase to it remember they didn't introduce pro v1 until 2000 i think or 2001 you know with billy android one with it out on tour at the end of a season. So, um, but the the three piece urethane thin cover, you know, design side to it, um, that that was that was significant in a in a distance side to it. Now now the production side to it and the it, it, it was it's very the cast urethane golf ball is very difficult to make. It's a it's a there's there's a reaction that goes on. There's a thermoset reaction that goes on that crosslinks the material, which makes it tough. But in the process, it can create bubbles in the in the covers, and, and when you buff, things pop out. And Callaway tried to do the urethane cast urethane covers, built a factory in California, and they were they were generating millions of dollars per quarter in scrap because they weren't able to figure. It, it took us a while, I tell you, us to do this. Probably about six years to really figure out how to do this process and then it's a niche thing that's uh, that's very difficult to do and at the time there was one other guy and myself that title us that knew how to do it and we brought that into the factory you know we had to teach them and cover 12-hour shifts just in in production we the seven days a week we had to cover 12-hour shifts to train the people to show them when we first brought it in so having another company started up and think it was going to be easy to do you know didn't really create a, a big demand where everybody was going to rush to get it done first because nobody really had that capacity. Maxfly had a urethane, cast urethane capacity, which they did a ball called Revolution at the time, and that was it. And then Callaway tried to do it and didn't really work, and they actually shut that whole project down after. They launched a golf ball called Rule 35 in 2000. Um, and, and the rule 35 was this, you know, there were only 34 rules of golf, so it breaks all, all the rules or something. But that, that really only stayed in production for a few years, and they had a lot of manufacturing problems with it, and they kind of switched away from that process because of the issues with it. So there wasn't a big rush, not, not a big competitive market out there for it. Um, so getting it right and taking your time is definitely something that's, you know, that was required. If I remember right, when Billy Andrade won, that was in Vegas, right? That's correct, yeah. I think it was so, in September, October, it, so it was late. Yeah, just end of the season. So when you first gave that ball to tour players, what was the reaction? And, like, did some guys, you know, because sometimes new technology, they're used to a certain thing. Like, how quick did they adapt to it? Or was it one of those things where it's like, 
holy shit, this is amazing. Give it to me. Give it to me now. Like, I'm literally a better golfer with this instantly. Yeah, it, the the initial reaction that I had when I was when I now I was at Titleist did the initial prototypes and the initial design and the patents for it, um, and then I left and went to TaylorMade. So when they brought that golf ball out on tour, I was I was working with TaylorMade at that time, so I was gone. But the initial reaction from the tour players that I did the test with were, you know, when when can we have it type yeah. of deal because it was a significant. It was just like the professional. You know, it was, it was, wow, this is, it, it is a wow factor to it where you go work with tour players on minor changes. And I did this for 20 something years and they, they don't really, they don't really care, you know, but if you come with something that's a big change, the interest levels there, and then the discussions just kind of take off over the tour. So they, you know, they really, people want to, want you to come see them. They want to, they want samples. They want to, you know, test with it and they're excited about it. And those two golf balls, the professional and Pro V1. There's there's three in my lifetime on golf. In thirty something years, I've been doing balls for the tour, and and the professional was one, the Pro V1 was one, and Penta, which was the first five layer golf ball, uh, that was that was the at TaylorMade that was the last one. So those were the three tour type of golf balls that had a significant impact on tour players excitements to really test them. The rest of them are minor tweaks, and if you look at Daryl's surveys today. Um, I think Titleist probably has seven or eight different Pro V1 versions and four or five Pro V1X versions. So the guys don't want to change every year. Some of them use balls from years and years ago that are still on the list that they don't sell or make. You know, they just make for the tour. That's pretty common, you know, for for the big companies to have multiple things out there. But uh, but th- those three, to me, those three innovations of the first urethane wound ball, the first ure, uh, cast urethane multi-layer golf ball that was a big success, and and then the Penta five-layer ball, which changed that spin curve I was talking about when rescue clubs and some of these other clubs came out. They, the players were struggling, so we worked to fix that for them, and that was, a, that was another big change that I, th- I think was significant. Did did Tiger have something a little special in his golf ball in that 2000 season? You kind of hear the urban legend that there was, you know, a little firmer ball. He got more distance, lower spin. You know, was was is it was that something too that was kind of a, a little yeah, bit that, of a game that changer? Would, that, would, that would fall under the same concept as the Pro V1. Uh, you know, going to a solid. You know, Tiger when he went to Nike um, was playing a golf ball that really wasn't made from nike it was more from bridgestone um and and matter of fact one of the guys that worked at bridgestone actually went to nike and eventually started doing work but but nike in their golf ball side tour they got into the market of making a golf ball for david duvall making one for tiger you know making one for other players they all had their own tour accuracy dd or tour accuracy tiger wood a tw so yes it would have been a change for tiger to use that solid multi-layer lower spin golf ball over the wound golf balls that were in the market um you know and and the rule 35 was just kind of coming out that year the to the pro v1 wasn't really out yet so he he probably that season probably had the bigger advantage over over other people with respect to a firmer low spin ball that eventually the other companies all came out with Working with the tour guys, who who over the years you worked with could literally just give you the best feedback and nail it where you knew the data, what it's supposed to do, and they could instantly reinforce that. Like just from that level of talent where the slightest changes you knew you were making, they would instantly see it. 
I think I think there's this there's two guys, well three guys I think that really stand out in my mind and for different reasons. Um Justin Rose was probably the best guy that I would work with that would really give you the time and really give you the detailed feedback um of what he's looking for, what he liked, um and and the differences in him and which way to go and what to come back with next. Um Sergio was very, very good at working around the green and if you went to his house which i did it multiple times he, he'd really spend a lot of time with you on the golf course and hitting a bunch of shots and you know making it kind of fun um and then hale Irwin was probably the the most i've best i've seen in a trajectory related way he he would hit shots based on flight and i had to change the dimple pattern for hale Irwin. had to cut the edge angles by half a degree to bring the flight down on a ball i was working on for him and I brought white golf balls out to him with red and blue dots, one old and one new. And I put the balls down, the dots down, so he couldn't see them. And he could tell me which one was which just by hitting a seven iron, a knockdown seven iron into the wind. So it, it was it was pretty. And then I would try to like trick him once in a while. He goes, "Oh, that's a problem." I'm like, "No, no, I that was me. You know, you you've convinced me." <laughs> so, um, you know, it, he he was very 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 good at trajectory, and and you you listened to him and. He knew exactly what he was talking about. So those three guys were probably, you know, the the best feedback I got for three different reasons. Interesting. Um, let's let's get into the the golf balls of where it might be going, then we'll then we'll definitely get into how Snell came about and what we're doing going forward there. But this talk of having a ball that spins more again for the best players in the world, you know, walking some of that performance back. What, what's your thoughts on that? And if they do that, do you think there needs to be two rules of golf then? Because I don't really want to hit it shorter, and I'm not that great with my <laughs> massive 102-mile-an-hour club head speed. Um, you know, so if they do do that, then how do you make it work for me so I'm, you know, not losing distance? Because I like hitting it 260. So so I've been doing golf ball design for 30 three years now, I guess. And I think for 25 of them, this discussion has happened. And, and really it's to me, there's this, there has been a distance increase and there's no question about it. Um, and, and the elite players, uh, you know, are the ones that really create the problem because they hit the ball so far. But, but let me, let me give you a couple of points that I, uh, I try to make on this topic because I've done quite a few interviews with it. For me, if, if you have a uh, a forty yard increase in distance, you know, on the tour. So, say the tour average when I started in golf it was about two eighty with tour ballada golf balls. Two eighty was what they were hitting it, and the ball speed was one sixty eight. You know, so that was the tour PGA tour average, one hundred sixty eight miles per hour, and two hundred eighty yards of distance would be the would be kind of where the the, the long guys were. And, and today, it, the, the argument has been in golf balls that the ball goes too fast today. Well, the speed of the golf ball to the USGA submission is, hasn't changed, so it can't go any faster. As a matter of fact, wound golf balls used to be made above the USGA limit, and then the ballata would actually bring them back down right to the limit. So with respect to speed of the golf ball, ballata golf balls and today's golf balls have the same speed by design. Now, can a tour player hit it faster? Absolutely. So back then, 168 miles an hour. Today, you see DeChambeau 200 miles an hour. 
So he's hitting a ball that hasn't gained any speed by design because it's limited to USGA, but he's producing 200 miles an hour. You know, and, and you watch on TV and 172, 175, that's pretty common when these big hitters are hitting them. Well, every mile an hour increase is about two and a half yards of distance. So if somebody increases, you know, their, their uh, speed by 10, 10 uh, miles per hour, you're 20 plus yards of gain by just by them hitting the ball that much faster. And that's the players. You know, it's not the, it's not the golf ball. So I believe that the distance increase is fourfold. I think one of it is because we've changed the launch conditions, which has lowered the spin and increased the loft. The speed hasn't changed, so that's added yardage, and that hasn't changed much in the in the last you know in ten years or so. It's it's been low for a long time. The second one is that the the drivers the drivers are bigger than they were in the past. The sweet spots are bigger. The CORs are pretty much maxed out. And, and some players longer. So the driver itself can produce high launch, low spin, faster ball speed based on, on the player swinging it. The players are limber. limber. They, you know, you watch Zalatoris swing and it looks like he twists his whole body around. Um, these guys can generate so much ball speed with the ball that hasn't changed in speed, but they can generate that speed. So the players are hitting it further. And and then the last thing is the agronomy. You know, you watch some of the, the Phoenix, some of the golf balls in Phoenix are probably still rolling. You know, they, they, they just goes forever. Right. In Hawaii, they roll forever. So you play golf every weekend. Do you see 50, 60 yards of roll? You know, no, nobody no. does. No. Now when I go out and I play with my buddies on Saturday, there's nobody obsolete in courses. You know, the, the, this, this is a an elite system where tour players can do that. So my my theory to it is for the PGA Tour is soften up the fairways a little bit, make the rough a touch longer, not too long because you don't want the players to get hurt, and, and watch, watch the scores. They'll focus a little more on accuracy versus bombing it and watch the scores come down. And you've seen that on some courses where there's rain, the, the golf course plays shorter. So don't make it so firm where the rough's a little thicker. They can't now maybe hold the shot to a, a tight pin. So they got to keep it in the fairway, and you'll see the scores come down. USGA sets it up one time a year, and it's brutal. And the players, you know, they'll get hurt if they play that every week. But a course setup can make the scores be much different. And then on Monday, cut it and let the rest of us play, and we don't have a problem again. Yeah, our our course at is a 120 year old course, Kishwaukee Country Club in DeKalb. Par 70, tips 6,500 yards. There's no one shooting 60 out there. A really good round is still 66, 67, 68 from a plus handicap golfer who's out there. They're not tearing it up. It's a a tour issue. Now, now the tour won't solve this issue by rolling the ball back 25 yards because, number one, there's no more money for tour players. The endorsements are gone. What manufacturer is going to volunteer to make golf balls a a bifurcation of rules and make a golf ball for the tour only? You're going to make them and not sell them, so you're going to lose money. The players lose money. You know, and 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 for what? what? What do you do? You take you take the Dustin Johnsons, and the Cameron Champs, and those uh, Deschambeaux that hit the ball 330 yards today, and you move them back to 300. Well, then you take your lower swing speed players, lower ball speed players, and you also move them back 30 yards. So right. all you're going to do is probably now, instead of hitting a wedge in and an 8-iron in, you're going to hit an 8-iron and a 4-iron or a 5-iron. You're going to make the longer hitters win more. You know, because proximity to the pin is much easier from an eight iron than it is from a four iron. 
So I don't think it. I don't think it works. I don't think it's needed. And I think if you set the course up with a little bit of thought and not make it so firm and put a little bit of rough in there and and then let them play, put some pins in some places that challenge if you if you are in the rough, and then cut the course and you know let us play on Monday when it's over. Yeah, or I mean it's entertainment, right? So I would argue too. I kind of have no problem. Our closest tournament, we call it like our fifth major here, is the John Deere Classic out in the Quad Cities. I don't mind them shooting twenty three under par in a golf course that I know I couldn't shoot seventy five from the tips, the conditions mm-hmm. that are there. I don't mind watching, you know, a three hundred and thirty yard drive in the air going. Wow, I can't, you know, it's it's I can't even imagine. It's it's kind of cool to watch the guys come in and just bring a for me, a pretty stern test of golf down to that level of scoring. I don't mind them yeah. shooting 65 every day. It's kind of fun to watch, right? We're like, wow, I can't imagine from that tee box hitting a drive to there. I, I get entertained <laughs> out of it. I totally right? agree. And, and that birdies is kind are, of what... Birdies are fun, yep. <laughs> yeah, right? So, you know, a guy can shoot 30 on the back nine at the John Deere and come back and win it. That's kind of exciting. Right, mm-hmm. and also knowing I've played the golf course a bunch of times, and knowing I can't dream of hitting a ball there, or you know, hitting out of that kind of rough as good as those guys are out of it, and strong as they are, as big as they are, it's yeah. fun. I don't, I don't mind. I don't, I don't watch that and go, "Well, this is, this is dog shit." They're shooting twenty three under at my, you know, our home tour event. It's kind of like that's pretty badass. They just yeah. shot twenty four under on that course from seventy three hundred yards. You know, shows yeah, some, of it's, talent. some of it's impressive. You see, when they make par fours, where some of them can drive it, and there's a little trouble if they don't, it, it creates a little bit of excitement. You know, where someone has a chance to make eagle and maybe catch the leader or something. You know, if they do exactly. hit one on the, so it, it's it for, for golf fans, it's fun. Yeah, I agree, totally agree. Exactly. Well, let's uh, get to Snell. So you accomplished. This great stuff with Titleist, great companies, and tailor-made great company. And all of a sudden, you're at this crossroads where you can do it. So, you know, the initial concept, you know, how did it come about? And, you know, how much are you enjoying kind of, you know, being at the helm of the ship and doing this? Well, the enjoyment part has is, is been so much fun. I, I did have, when I started, I had help from friends and borrowed a little bit of money and said I'd pay it back. And, you know, so... It was a very small business when I started to say, you know, we, we a buddy of mine gave us an office in in, in a in a Porta John company, you know, just my my daughter in law I hired to kind of be the little office manager, answer the phone if somebody did call, and I didn't know what was going to happen, whether it was it was a chance, but I did know how to make the product, and I did know what performance was needed in the product, and and I didn't want it to be a I'm going to go buy a ball off the shelf from a company over there and then say this is the is a good good performance golf ball. So I did R&D work. I did some development work on it to get the specs that we wanted on it and and uh produce something that so when you design a golf ball for the tour players, they they have a specific category that they look for. They have they spin the ball ridiculous amounts, you know, that they want to take spin out. And blah blah blah. When you design golf balls for average golfers, they don't play like tour players do. They don't spin balls back off the green. You know, they they don't talk about oh, this golf ball has to be very very soft feel. You know, or my four iron knuckles and falls out of the sky. So you got to add spin on a four iron. This is what I dealt with for years with tour players. But when you work with average golfers, there's, you know, an 18 handicap player misses the green 17 times. So basically they have 17 little par threes that they have to play at some point. 
So being able to put performance into the ball that might help them maybe not suck the ball back with a wedge, but maybe stop it five feet closer, you know, maybe cut, cuts one of those three putts out and helps them score. And the biggest part of it was to give performance that's, that's very, very good and make it affordable. You know, so that was the goal that I had when I started is, is it doesn't cost any less to make the golf ball that I have than, than it does to make a Pro V1 or a tailor-made ball. I use the top core materials. I use the best mantle material, and I use the, the cast urethane best cover material in golf, is my opinion, which is what Titleist tailor-made use. So there's no cuts on the, on the materials at creating performance. But I, I've turned down about six or seven tour players that have called that wanted to play the ball and respectfully decline um, because that's expensive and has to keep the cost down. You know, we, we, we sell direct to consumer. We ship to your house in two days um, without having, you know, reps and pro shops, which that's, that's their category. That's where they play and, and it works for them. But the, I just remembered sitting here with my wife and we were doing Christmas shopping one year and we did it on a computer with, with a Tito's and soda and, and she had a bottle of wine. We stayed home and we had a few drinks and bought everybody Christmas gifts online. And I'm like, geez, this is kind of where it's gone right now. And, and the golf ball side to it, they're purchase items. Sometimes people see them at the pro shop and they want to buy them. But a lot of times if you can get them to them in a couple of days um, and you can make it affordable, but you could give them performance that's also affordable, that was the whole goal. And when we started, you know, I had no idea how it was going to go. And we grew, I think it was 800% the first year, and then it's been 30 to 40% every year since then. Um, and the only reason why it's 30 to 40 is it's a capacity issue. If we could get more, we could sell more. So it's it's been fun. We, we've, we're in our fifth building since we started. Uh, we outgrew the other offices, and now we're, we were set up in a nice facility, which we can handle you know bigger volumes. And we're still in that situation now with supply, where if we could get more, we could sell more. But that's that'll be solved. We're working on that as well, um, and it's just been fun. You know, I, it's family friends that work with me, and we go in, and I go in every morning. I get up at 5:30, and I go in every morning, and I do the orders. I print the stuff out, print the labels out, and then the staff comes in at 7:30 or 8, and we put music on, and, and I pack golf balls with them. We all pack, so every ball, every dozen that shipped out, you know, we take boxes up, we put the labels on, and. We work together, tell stories about the weekend, what's going on, you know, with people's lives. They're all friends. Um, and, and when we're done packing, then everybody goes to the desks and they, they, they start their work. So I, I have everybody in the company involved in, in the morning side to it. There was a team together and everybody packs as, as well as myself. We cut the boxes up and put them in a dumpster when we're done, the cardboard boxes that the balls come in. So it's just been like a – it's just a kind of a fun – group of people that I work with. I haven't had one person leave, you know, and we, after we pack on Mondays because of the weekend, it's usually busy Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then we pack Monday and we, we pack and then we buy lunch for the, for the company. And every, we have lunch as, as a group together. Then the rest of the week we go work. So, um, I've totally enjoyed it. And the, the staff I have is great. And, um, you know, couldn't, I just need more golf balls. So <laughs> that's the, that's the only issue I have. Well, speaking of the models, is there any new models, without getting really too many details what you're doing, but is there any new models in the pipeline? And if so, when could consume, consumers with the backup and production problems and, you know, all that stuff that's going on with every industry, when would we potentially be seeing some new models being introduced? 
Yeah, I've been I've tried to be real transparent with our customer base through emails and some videos and things that we send out to our customers. Um, there's a, there's a material shortage and there's a supply shortage for us right now. I've been working on development on new products with multiple factories um, and finished. We actually had. Um, two new golf balls that were purchase orders sent out, and we got a call from factory saying that there's a material shortage and they can't get the material. So um, we we have done development work. We, we we've listened to the consumers. Um, I read most of the things that that come into our company, and then I also read some of the sites that are out there for what people have for feedback. And that's that's our that's our database. We listen to our customers, and if they. I have a paper on my desk that says pros and cons, and I list all different performance categories, and, and I fill it in. And when a box is full, that's a voice, and that's what the customer is telling us, and then that's what I work on on the design to try to address that issue that someone multiple times have said and then work on new products. So that's in the works. I can't tell you. I'm not hiding it either. I can't tell you when. That will be because the, the, the supply right now or the material supply right now is, is the issue. And that could change next month. It could change in a couple months. But um, we're hoping that you know, hopefully by the end of this year, um, the, the capacity and the supply issues will be over, and then we can we can really kick in and launch some new products and uh, you know and make 2023 a good year. Under the current rules of of golf and how the ball, like you were saying, the speed can't be increased or whatever, and I and I kind of. Let me just ask it this way. How, how much better can the golf balls really be in the, in the next five to ten years based on the rules you have to play in? Is it, is it really starting to get incremental at this point? It, it's not because the rules that, that are out there in golf right now, the only rule that really is a performance rule, well, there's, there's, there's two, but they're related. They have a speed limit, which is the elite 170-mile-an-hour ball speed players. Um, so there's a velocity limit that the USGA has, and there's a distance limit that they have. So those go together. And I've always kind of spoke to the USGA over the years, like, why do you have both? You know, if, if you have a velocity, if you have a distance limit, then the velocity can't be, you know, you can't make the golf right. balls go ridiculously fast because they'll still be illegal. But there's, there's the old rules, and the people believe that if you take the speed limit out, then people will play games. So it is what it is. But but the other ones are size and weight and symmetry and how the ball flies. Those are the criteria that we have to follow. So it has nothing to do with performance. You know, the tee shot off the tee, average golfers today, our customer base today, they're not they're not obsolete in the courses. So being able to continue to keep the velocity maxed out and keep the distance maxed out that they allow us to is okay. But you still got to play. Three, four, five, two, three, four, five other shots during that hole, and that performance is not regulated at all. So there's there's opportunities to work in categories of golfers. You know, when you start, we started with with one or two types of performances that we fit. But when you start to listen to your customers, and not everybody, you know, is a scratch golfer, and not everybody's an 18 handicap, and those needs for an 18 that spins the ball half of the spin rate with a wedge than a tour player does, they maybe we can help them with some performance on, on the short game spin, you know, without sacrificing distance. And then, you know, so controlling spin rates and controlling performance and controlling feel, you know, putting different things in there that can have the sound be a little bit different um, to give people a, a confidence level on a feel side to it. Those are things that can all be done in the past. So when you, when you go out and you're a, you're a 18 handicap and you shoot 90, 
and you hit 14 drives, you know, you have quite a few other shots that you're playing that there's no regulation on performance, and we can work towards uh, improving some of those things. I got a two-parter because these kind of go together. So how how should a player go about trying to get fit for a golf ball? Let's say it's snell balls and you got, you know, your different there's different models. And, and in, in that fitting, what's maybe some of the biggest misconceptions about golf balls that, that is out there that you just kind of shake your head at and go, that's not correct, and, and here's why? <laughs> well, being a hockey player, when I see people – they say that they fit a golf ball by hitting three drives and they pick they they got fit to this ball because it was the longest one that makes me want to pull a shirt over the head and start throwing uppercuts because that is awful you know you, you, your golf your golf game is not a tee shot that you know it, that, we've had people say to us hey i played your golf ball and it's 25 yards longer than pro v1 and i'm like okay thanks it's not but thanks and i've had people say it's 25 yards shorter than pro v1 and i'm like okay it's not but you know you have to go so he said well i played it and i hit the two side by side and one was 10 yards longer i'm like well keep hitting them because the neck you know your deviation of an average golfer driver is huge so don't fit a golf ball with a driver. You play the game. My opinion on, on, on fitting a golf ball is from 100 yards and in. I think you should take a two-piece ball and a, and a multi-layered ball and go from 100 yards and hit a few shots into a green. Do this for four or five holes. Then go to 70 yards. Then 60, 30, chips, putts. Go to the next hole. And if you do this for four or five holes, testing these golf balls side by side from 100 yards in with multiple shots, when you walk off that last green, you're going to say, I like the way that ball came off a little lower or higher or spun or bump and run or or stopped or released or felt soft or felt firmer. Something in there is going to be something that you may appeal to because you hit good shots from 100 yards and then don't test with four irons because you don't hit the ball the same anyway. Don't test with drivers. So 100 yards and in, multiple shots and see what you like. And in that testing, there'll be something. And if you can't tell the difference between a two-piece ball and a tour ball, then buy the two-piece ball because your game's not there yet. You know, you will as you play because that's where they're different. They're not any different off the tee anymore. They're much different from 100. And better players like scratch golfers or single-digit, I recommend doing it from 150. And I also recommend doing it with a little wind. So any headwind that you can find, you know, test multiple shots because golf balls will perform differently with dimple patterns and spin in the wind, and that's where you can come up short or long or whatever. So find, And if you're a real good player, you don't have to do two-piece and a tour ball. You can do a Tyler Callaway and a Snell golf ball and go out and test them head-to-head. And if you can tell differences in them that you like or feel, then that's, that's for you. And if you can't, then you can buy the Snell golf ball because you're going to save yourself you know, $15, $20 a dozen. Is there any tech misconceptions out there, like low compression, high, you know what I mean? Is there anything else that the industry has kind of pushed but it's not exactly accurate? Well, the compression, the compression part of it to feel is, is something that's a little bit misleading because everybody thinks if they say you've got a 80 compression ball, that's a lady's ball, or, you know, it's you know 90 compression ball, I need to play when it's cold or, or, or and 100 compression when it's hot. That's all, that's all not true at all. Um, I, I use an example of compression. When I was at Titleist, we used to make a golf ball called the DT. It was a wound Serlin golf ball, and it had a 76 compression. And the Torbalata, even though it said 90 and 100 on the box, it was in the 70s also. 
So those two golf balls had the same compression, and they weren't anywhere near the same sound or feel. So the compression is what we use as a designer's tool to control spin rates. It has a, a level of feel into it today with solid golf balls where, you know, lower compression balls might have a different sound to it, you know, but, but it's, it's, it's not really a big performance difference because you can change spin rates with layers. So a compression of one golf ball being equal to the other doesn't mean it has the same spin and performance to it because we control that part of it with the different layers and the materials we use in it. You know, so I, I, would, I would say compression is probably one of the biggest misconceptions that, you know, don't worry. It's why you don't see manufacturers write it on the balls anymore or on the box. Yeah. We don't yeah. talk about it anymore. You know, that's the reason. Because it, it, if you did it back in the day and you put 80 on it, it used to mean it was a ladies' ball. Well, that's, there's golf balls in the 60s and 70s that are very good for a lot of players. So, so it's really your preference on what you like with respect to sound and then, and then the spin and performance control what, how you score. Well, my final question here for you, if you've got, mm -hmm. uh, I know you play golf, and if you've got, is there two or three golf courses that, through all your travels around the world and stuff, if you could go play around with some friends and have yourself a day, we'll call it, is there two or three golf courses that just stand out to you that, what an incredible experience? Well, I've been to Augusta, but I've never played it, so I, I wish I could try to do that one time, but my three courses I think that I've played that are, that are, that are the best for me, um, is Pebble Beach, um, St. Andrews, the old course, uh, just because of the history. And that I just enjoyed that so much and what a challenge that was. And then I actually really loved Torrey Pines South, you know, when I lived in San Diego. Um, very, very tough golf course, you know, just beautiful. And the view's beautiful, but the golf course, you know, when you watch tour players play it and they host U.S. Opens and you see the challenges that they face, and you just remember, like you had mentioned earlier, when you're on your course and you're watching these guys play it, you just remember, oh, yeah, I was over here, and, yeah, I could never reach from there, and this guy's got a seven iron and, you know, different right. things like that. But those three courses for me are, uh, are definitely the top three that – that stand out in my mind to say, you know, if I could do it once a week, I would. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Like I said, it's an honor to work, you know, have our companies work together. You know, I truly respect your your technical capabilities and everything that you do with your brand. You guys run a great company, and it's, a, it's an honor to be a partner with you. So thanks for coming on, and, uh, you know, continued success, and, you know, keep grinding it upwards and looking forward to seeing those new models and, um, you know, uh, the future, I think, is bright for your company for sure, 1,000%. All right, Jason. I appreciate the work you do with us as well. And, uh, and same for yourself. Keep, keep moving forward, and we'll, uh, we'll keep moving together. So I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.